This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way. Except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. everybody and welcome back to the great american scream my name is devin wright uh, my name is adam o'connell and i'm i'm personally excited to get into this topic today i can't let a phaser out for how devin feels about this topic let a fa- what what's that know, phrase, that, was a phrase that i just made up just right now yeah let out a phaser no a oh, phaser. that's not what i meant like, to do I'm either. using a phaser gun to set phasers it's, to a, it's stun. basically a vibe check in a way you're vibe checking. I'm That's vibe really checking what the Star Trek yeah. guys do when they set phasers to. Well, they set, can set phasers, set phasers to, to sun, check. and then you can set phasers to vibe check. Yeah. Uh, what are we talking about on this episode of the um, Great American Scream? Today we are talking. We're going to go to a, uh, another subgenre of uh, horror films. We've done the slasher, and now it's time to get even deeper into the exploitation film hole by talking about splatter yeah. films. That hole is not, it's not a good hole. Oh, to no, it's, it's, it's a very uh, scary and kind of gross hole to be in. But I figured it'd be good to talk about it because I've already made you watch one film that was almost a splatter film, Terrifier. Yeah, that, uh, is that not a, like a level above splatter? No, splatter is spl- considered above. I would above. actually consider it a, a level under a splatter film. Okay, okay. Um, Great, I'm buckled up, let's go. But yeah, I figured it'd be good to talk about it so you can maybe process what you saw. What I saw? Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about it. Yeah, and they, they've been an extremely popular subgenre of horror since, since the advent of like slasher films in the 60s and 70s. Um, so the big question is kind of like, what is the difference? Well, first of all, the term splatter film was coined by George A. Romero to first describe. Hey, uh, I know that guy. Yeah, he, he coined it to first describe Dawn of the Dead. Uh, however, by modern standards, Dawn of the Dead would not be considered a splatter film. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. And um, the big question of like, OK, what's the difference between a splatter film and a slasher? Because they have their roots in the same thing. Um, so the biggest difference is that a, a, sla- a slasher is also focused on like sort of shock and the kills and stuff. But a slasher is more focused on the story elements and metaphor uh, and of this, of the story what's going on while a splatter film is kind of more couched in gore as an aesthetic and shock as an aesthetic. Uh, kind of a, a practical, like as a practical art form rather than like a, like a filmmaking art form. Yeah. And in, in, instead of using gore to say something else or to tell the story, they use gore you're using gore to, use to gore. say gore yeah you're using gore to spell out the word gore on a big side of a building or maybe on a desert island so you can get uh, rescued yeah and that's why the splatter film genre has always kind of been more of a uh like underground movie theater drive-in it's really like it's big in exploitation films because it's not very often culturally accepted um, yeah, yeah. We people. talk about how like profitable horror is as a mainstream concept. Maybe splatter not so not so much, not as not as widely acceptable or 
or marketable. Yeah, but a lot of uh, especially modern horror films and horror films that came out in like the mid aughts take almost all of their inspiration from the splatter genre. So it, it, it is important to what we know horror to be today. Um, but talking about kind of like what makes a splatter film, uh, splatter films, like we said, use gore as an art form. Um, and while other horror films feature things like the fear of the unknown or the fear of things outside your own control, splatter films focus on a very big fear that all humans have, which is the fear of the destruction of human body and pain, which is a fear everybody yeah. has. <laughs> I don't like to be hurt. Yeah, I don't think it's uh, I don't know if we have to dive too much into the science of, of why people are afraid of getting hurt, you know, I don't I don't really think so. I think it's kind of a pretty basic. I don't want to be hurt because I don't want to be dead. But also, like, we talk about the power of, uh, like, imagination being worse than the best thing that you could show somebody, like, when they pan away from a slasher killing somebody so that you can imagine a more grisly death than they could show you. That, I feel like that kind of also applies to pain, which is why maybe we still are good with stuff like splatter films, because... Like we can imagine the pain, but we also can't, if that makes sense. Like we can imagine a worse pain than we've ever felt pretty yeah. easily. And that's freaky as hell. That yeah, is that, no good. That's very fair. And because another uh, one of the reasons why I think the main reason people say they don't like splatter films or very gory horror movies, because I know a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm fine with horror movies and stuff, but I can't do gore. Um, and yeah. that's really like, although it comes from the human fear of getting hurt, it also has uh, um, everybody has a different tolerance for disgust and right. I, yeah. I was going to bring up disgust. Yeah. yeah. I was curious about why some people get more yucked out by things than others. Cause like when it comes to horror, I have a pretty good gore tolerance. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, I um, feel like for a long time, like my hatred of horror came from my hatred of gore. And now I feel kind of the opposite. Like I would much rather watch a slasher or a splatter, like terrifier or something way worse because I know, like I'm an adult, I know that the stuff that's happening isn't real. And a lot of the time it's so much, it's like so far past mm -hmm. anything that I'm like, oh, this is just, just a lot of blood. It's the, it's the smaller forms of, of pain and the more subtle forms of fear that are way worse for me. Yeah. Like I, I, Eye and teeth am, stuff. I, I am slightly, uh, hemophobic. I almost said hemophilic. I'm not, I'm not a hemophiliac. <laughs> Uh, like slightly hemophobic, but only with small amounts. If there's a big gusher of blood, I'm good. If there's yeah. just like a little bit, any any scene where somebody's in any movie holding up a knife to somebody's throat, I'm like, you stop that right now. I don't like it. Excuse me out. Don't like it. But if that person were to take, instead of a knife, a giant axe and slice it through the person's head and their head became what looks to me in movies like a like a donut of red, with like what they think the spine or possibly the like the esophagus looks like right in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As if as if all of human throat were just one cylinder. One tube. And there's just kind of a Las Vegas-esque fountain show. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good and that. that's interesting that you bring it up because we'll talk about the the crossover from when it gets so gory that it becomes comedy. But so yes. talking about disgust, there's this concept uh called disgust proneness um and there are three components to that disgust propensity which is a tendency to experience disgust so how often you experience it disgust okay. sensitivity 
uh, which is kind of how you evaluate that disgust and how you deem how gross something is um, and then discuss reactivity. So how you react to that stimulus, if it makes you nauseous, if it makes you close your eyes and look away. Um, mm. And there's a couple of reasons why people have different responses to each of those things. A lot of it has to do with culture. So culturally, there are things that some people might find gross because it's not something they were raised with. And meanwhile, in a different culture, it's perfectly normal and acceptable yeah. and experienced. Um it could be with environment or um, any any number of kind of external uh, stimuli. Um, That's super interesting. Yeah. And I so think I have good everything except for the last one because I'm like, good. I know I'm getting disgusted, but my responsiveness is bad because okay. my like my thought spirals are always disgust based. <laughs> I just keep going. <laughs> I keep going. But like it doesn't it takes a lot to get me there. Yeah, that, that's know? fair. And there are different domains of what people find disgusting. And most slash transmutation, films, evocation, yeah. uh, prestidigitation. Yeah. And that's most, not a school of magic. <laughs> most uh, splatter films will fall into the um, the the dom the domains of uh, death, hygiene, body products which means like mucus bodily things that come out yeah, of yeah these are um, all also brooklyn drag queens death, and hygiene body products and envelope violations envelope violations i love her and, she does a really good abba an envelope violation uh is the, the way it's phrased like this is that you are the envelope and it so exposed insides of an injured person or separate body parts that is considered an envelope violation. Ah, we're all just envelopes. Yeah. Um, and the different disgust thresholds of people like scientists don't know exactly why for each person. But there are some studies that, studies that have suggested uh, that it might be an evolutionary adaptation for avoiding disease. Um, and it's thought that I think some studies have shown that people with better immune systems are less likely to become disgusted by things or react mm. to disgusting stimuli. Um, so really, That's why I don't get disgusted because I'm very strong and I will never die. <laughs> so evolutionarily, there could be any number of reasons why you enjoy or don't enjoy splatter films. Um, but so they thrive on chaos and a lack of order they may not necessarily follow a typical narrative structure as the splatter film is almost solely focused on exploiting the fear of bodily harm by any artistic means necessary um so okay. a lot of splatter films that you may watch may be more so like art films or experimental because they're not really focused on plot conflict resolution etc cetera, etc cetera. um so there's often a very heavy emphasis on camera work sound style etc cetera, etc cetera. um and uh, we talked about humans enjoying the spectacle of violence as catharsis in many episodes, notably the slashers one. Yeah. So the uh, popularity of splatter films comes as no surprise. Um, and they're not as popular as slashers, mostly because some folks literally cannot handle like we just talked yeah. about uh, the level of violence that splatter films have. And slashers are in general more palatable to the average audience because some people be squeamish, which is understandable. Yeah, you don't have to like yeah. any movie, much less splatter movies. 
Yeah, true. Hey, uh, before we move on, let's take a short break. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I'm briefly interrupting to remind you that we have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash greatscreenpod. There's tons of great perks for every single level from Q&A live streams to access to Adam's very in-depth, very fascinating outlines and early access to episodes. So go check it out. Once again, that is patreon.com slash greatscreenpod. So, Adam, I have been thinking a lot about films that are uh, like really uh, considered socially unacceptable. Uh, I would say Splatter probably falls into that. And I uh, I've heard a lot of new critique about the fact that I mean, it's not new. It's very, very old, but kind of resurfacing critique about film, TV and even books that are all about allowing people to experience dangerous situations in a safe way Mm -hmm. uh, and exploiting or indulging a desire for those dangerous situations without actually putting yourself in danger. Let's go back in time, talk about that, not just in Splatter and also Fifty Shades of Grey, but let's go back to see where that that ding dang thing came from. Yeah. And like I said before, it's kind of an innate human thing, whether you're conscious of it or not. But splatter cinema specifically is thought to have its roots in uh, a the French Grand Guinol, I think, or Grand Guinol Theater. Uh, I asked how to pronounce that, and it's still hard. Uh, it's spelled G-U-I-G-N-O-L, so it is spelled Guignol. Um, But so of the 19th and 20th centuries... Uh, this was a theater in the Pigalle district of Paris that performed from 1897 to 1962, so a really long time. Um, and they were known for their naturalistic horror shows. Uh, naturalism referring to the actual theatrical movement of naturalism, which is theater that imitates life as closely as possible. So they use Boo. makeup and special effects to create the most realistic gore they could on stage without actually hurting anybody. Um, the theater was actually a former chapel. And was uh, decorated with gothic touches to give the whole building kind of an eerie vibe. This seems like your dream theater, this Adam. It does seem like somewhere that I would definitely go. So people would, this was very popular, and people would go to these shows to just to experience these intense feelings yeah. of either disgust or shock or very often arousal. <laughs> Hell yeah. Go to the, you go to the theater to feel a bit randy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So often these special effects would get so realistic that people would faint or vomit during performances or experience intense arousal to the point where actors would often have to break character to yell at audience members to settle down. Okay, first, I love that. Just like that's really good. Breaking mid monologue to be like, ma'am, can you please sit down? I can't. There's a show going on. But also second, I'm sure that this is some boring straight white man uh, comedian uh, bit already. But what is it with these 1800s people who are so overwhelmed by everything going on that they faint or they vomit and they're just like, oh, I can't believe it. And they faint. It doesn't make any sense. Get a grip. (laughs) What was it about the 1800s? There's a war going on. There's a war. This this civil war happened right now. We're in uh, 1897. We're in the Spanish American War. People are dying. Why are you so why are you so emotional? Doesn't make any sense. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, notable productions include uh, *Le Laboratoire de 
I guess hallucinations uh, would be how you uh, the laboratory. Of yeah, that translates directly to uh, uh, the the science place of of head dreams, I believe. Uh, in a way, yes. Uh, by yeah. Andre Delord, uh, this play when a doctor finds his wife's lover in his operating room, he performs a graphic brain surgery, rendering the adult rendering the adulterer a hallucinating semi zombie. Now insane, the lover slash patient hammers a chisel into the doctor's brain, and that was the whole play. Uh, the doctor performs a bad brain surgery to make the adulterer a zombie. Yes. Then the lover returns the favor and does an even worse surgery on the doctor. <laughs> yeah. It's just surgeries back and forth. And the closest thing to this uh, in like a modern context that I can think of is Hannibal, the, the TV show. Um, yeah. I don't know if anybody's ever watched it. The gore on that show is insanely explicit and also very naturalistic. There's nothing... Okay, I almost said there's nothing fantastical about that show, but he does talk to a big deer, deer ghost. Um, yeah, besides I also, that, <laughs> I also feel like Hannibal and and even like what it makes me think of is like th- that that kind of show or like American Psycho. I also link it with in my brain mm-hmm. is very much about the aesthetics of blood and gore, but juxtaposed with like clean. Yeah, with like, like the with refined, Hannibal, aristocratic it's like, kind of exactly, or with like Dexter, it's like the fact that he's a doctor, clean stuff. American Psycho is the plastic wrap over the whole apartment. Yeah, that makes sense. This seems like they're just kind of going for it. Yeah, I mean, they were gothic plays, and they did often evolve like the aristocracy, and I think that's also because, like, if we're gonna enjoy violence, we're gonna enjoy it more when rich people are involved, like rich, fancy. Yeah, I was going to bring this up when you talked about the fact that people went to the theater to get a little randy. (laughs) Why don't we bring that back? I mean, all these rich New Yorkers going to the Broadway, they're not feeling randy. They're just seeing alphabet singer songs. Maybe we bring back this like the French did and start throwing gore up on the stage so that (laughs) the rich people can feel a bit randy. And maybe then they'll be like, maybe I don't need all this concentrated wealth. Maybe all they're missing is some horny randy theater. Yeah, I mean, like this is a very French invention, um, and in in a way, and um, the theater right now where this used to be is still open in France. It is no longer the uh, Grand Guignol, uh, but it is a actually a theater that I think performs in all French sign language, which is really cool. That's um, really sick. Yeah. It is literally your dream theater. Adam. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, but so the first appearance of naturalistic gore in cinema is probably D.W. Griffith, Griffith Intolerance in uh, 1916. Yeah. The enemy of the podcast. Yes. We hate him. This is the birth of a nation guy. So first and foremost, screw this dude in all of his movies. Yeah. No, bad. Enemy of the podcast. But he was the first one uh, to kind of do like a Guignol-esque film that featured two on-screen decapitations and a very slow, bloody stabbing. Um, and Guignol came out and said, we love the gore, we love the blood, but screw that guy. Well, screw this dude. He's a racist. I hate We're not going to talk about him anymore. Um, but so when we got start to get into like modern cinema, we don't get a lot of gore and horror films until the 1950s, at least because of the Hayes Code, obviously. Um, however, Hammer Film Productions uh, played a huge part in producing the first kind of gory horror movies after the Hayes Code was lifted, listed, lifted, or... Um, at least gory for the time, you know, because like, again, mm. when you go and look back on these movies, they're really not that 
bloody like compared to they are they are church they are church youth group movies <laughs> they're pretty tame but back then they were quite uh gory so hammer film productions is a british company notable for utilizing classic horror characters like dracula and frankenstein but producing uh their films in very vivid gory color so they basically took like the universal classic monster movies and said great we can do them bloody this time and that's what they did uh so yeah i mean if you're like oh we had black and white stuff now we got all the colors let's get some red up in there baby fake yeah. blood like how excited would you be as like a prop designer that now your fake blood gets to be red yeah because plenty plenty of these films that were released during this time were still released in black and white but these were explicitly released in color even though it took longer and was more expensive because of that kind of iconography of the red blood um, some of their notable films include The Curse of Frankenstein, 1957, their 1958 Dracula starring Christopher Lee, which is a great movie, uh, and The Mummy in 1959. Uh, the studio still exists right now. Uh, they yeah. most recently, their most like notable recent films include The Woman in Black in 2012 starring Daniel oh. Radcliffe. Yeah. And um, The Lodge last year, which I haven't seen yet, but I heard was good. I really like the the energy of monster film but blood <laughs> I mean, that yeah. i like because you keep all the you keep all the like theatrical meaning and deep nuance but you also get some blood in there something uh, for the, the whole family yeah the bloodiest film of the era was probably 1960s jijoku which is a <clears throat> um japanese film that depicted the buddhist underworld as jijoku uh, or Jigoku literally translates Liter to yeah. hell. It literally means hell. I was just about to say, I'm like kind of learning Japanese. And I yeah. Just, the bloodiest G film Jigoku is called hell. just means hell. Um, it did. Yeah. It depicted the Buddhist underworld and various scenes of flaying and dismemberment. Uh, there's a lot yeah, of scenes Jigoku. from this movie on YouTube and they are so crazy. Please watch them. Oh, so good. Um, but if we really want to talk about like when the splatter film came into its own, we have to talk about one man and one man only Herschel Gordon Lewis. Oh, a new hero of the podcast steps yeah. onto the scene. Um, step aside, Jack the Clown. Step it's aside, Herschel's turn. Other people. Uh, who's the guy? Uh, who is William Castle? Who's in all the monster movies? Oh, Bela Lugosi or Boris? No, Carla. Doug Jones. Oh, Doug Jones. The senator from Alabama. Not anymore. I'm so <laughs> sorry, anymore. Doug Jones. I really hope that you get nominated for AG. Just going to put that out there anyway. Um, so uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis is a director known as the father of splatter films or more popularly, the godfather of gore. Oh, you're going to make me an offer I can't refuse. <laughs> that, that was great. Thank you. Thank that you. Was excellent. Um, so he worked in a wide range of exploitation films, including juvenile delinquent films and nudie cuties, which are naked movies. Bad. Um, no uh, nude. No nudity. This is an anti-nakey show. Thing, no nakey on the show. You can be nakey. Um, however, in 1963, he released Blood Feast, widely considered to be the first actual splatter film uh, about a food caterer named uh, i think this is fwad f-u-a-d fwad ramses who sure. who kills Gordon's women dad. so that he can include them in his meals and make sacrifices to the goddess ishtar i'm about that yeah i mean like specifically going for like like there's the oh it's it's not judeo-christian god let's yeah, make it ishtar the... a mesopotamian goddess but like still pretty good yeah. 
Um, it had a budget of uh, $24,500, which is about $208,000 in today money and grossed yeah. $4 million at the box office or $34 million in 2020 money. Oh, my God. Imagine making a splatter film for $200,000. Which is that crazy. can't even buy all the blood you need nowadays. It's, it's insane how much this movie made because I've, I've seen this movie and straight up, it's not very good. Like just Hell as yeah. a film, it's not super. That's what good, I like to hear. It made so much money, and Lewis was inspired to make this film after seeing Psycho in theaters and feeling that audiences oh got cheated because they were only shown the <laughs> aftermath of the murders and not the actual action. Uh, I've made a decision, Adam. Yeah. You know, uh, pro- uh, coming up on eight years of acting, four years of uh, a highly uh, lauded institution learning how to act. I went to the Royal Academy in Dramatic Art. I've worked at the American Shakespeare Center. I, you know, no more good movies. I've decided all movies have to be bad or else I'm not going to watch them. Art is dead. Culture is dead. Film is dead. Only bad movies. I'm only, I'm anti-good movie. I'm pro-bad movie. That's it. No more taste. Um, so Blood Feast was followed by two more gore films by Lewis, uh, 2000 Maniacs, exclamation point, from 1964, and Color Me Blood Red, 1965. Uh, these three films are considered to be the Blood Trilogy. Um, and Very But good. the first movie, Blood Feast, got a belated sequel in 2002 called Blood Feast 2, All You Can Eat, also directed by Lewis. Uh and that was one of the last That's movies he directed before he passed away in 2016. And then but there's his legacy Feast, lives on. Blood Feast 2, uh, all, all blood for you. Blood <laughs> Feast 3, more blood for me. <laughs> blood Feast 4, uh, turn up the gore. Blood Feast 5, blood in a beehive. <laughs> <laughs> that took a different turn. I, know, I wasn't <laughs> sure. Couldn't think um, of a rhyme for 5. So as this uh, kind of launched this kind of age of the splatter exploitation film, uh, the rising popularity was a concern for conservative groups, American families, anybody whose pearls were clutched by the idea of a splatter film uh, with film critic Robert Robert Ebert. Is that Roger? Should I have typed Roger Roger Ebert? Because I typed Robert Ebert and I don't think that's his name. I think it's Roger. It is Roger. Damn it. Roger Ebert. Uh, it's okay. The, He's a stink man anyway. Uh, leading the charge to censor splatter and exploitation films after the release of 1978's I Spit on Your Grave, which he called, quote, a vile bag of garbage. Now, okay. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of I Spit on Your Grave. Uh, mm. It is a uh, subgenre of exploitation film called a rape and revenge film that is still one of the most controversial movies of all time. It's also considered to be one of the worst movies ever, which also turned it into a cult classic. It is Okay, I'm anti-bad movie. I mean, I'm pro-bad movie. Not this kind. There's a difference between bad movie and shouldn't be a movie. Yeah, the, you know? the, 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 it is insanely violent and the depictions of assault are extremely graphic with those scenes making up almost 30 minutes of the film's entirety. I do not recommend you watch this movie unless you are really well-versed in the splatter genre and very prepared because this is a hard watch. It is still banned in Ireland. Good. I, like, these movies are to watch only for, like, academic purposes. Yeah, if you're going to, like, you write a paper about it. You never enjoy these films. This is not a movie night movie. Um, 
But so in the UK, the uh, conservative parliament member Graham Bright also led a charge for censorship uh, against these splatter films and sponsored the Video Recordings Act of 1984, which is the UK's version of implementing like an MPA rating system, but specifically for video releases, as many splatter films would get around theater censors by just going straight to video. Like, you can't rate me now. Hell yeah. I'm already on the team. Can't rate me now. Take that, Tories. (laughs) Um, Get off my back. Uh, this meant led to many splatter films being outright banned, uh, and then they were deemed video nasties by the British press. God, I hate the British. That is so funny. It's a video nasty. <laughs> um, and another cool fun fact about kind of this golden age of splatter films, um, Peter Jackson, uh, noted Lord of the Rings director, began his film career with two splatter films called uh, One Bad Taste in 1987 and Brain Dead in 1992. These films would feature gore so over the top that it became funny, coining the term splatstick, which we see yeah, little, in uh, uh, Sam Raimi movies like Evil Dead 2 and Drag Me to Hell. Little known fact, uh, Peter Jackson, you know, never never won an Oscar for any of the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, Return of the King never won Best Picture. Actually, the only Oscar he won was Best Picture for uh it was it wasn't best picture back then it was called best video nasty and it was for bad taste <laughs> yeah splatstick uh that's what we were talking about before kind of the idea of the gore being so over the top that it passes the threshold of being like gross or realistic and is merely funny like i always think of the scene and i think evil dead 2 where she, she like opens up the trap door and she's pulling the legs out and it's just like it must be like at least 150 gallons of blood that are just like spurting yeah. out like that where it just becomes comedic at that point. It's not scary anymore. Um, but so now, it, again, the the genre kind of dies down with the advent of slashers and paranormal horror movies. Um, but one of the most notable resurgence. Of hey, the just so genre- you know, uh, 150 gallons of blood is 1200 pints, uh, which would mean that's uh 300 whole people yeah that's exactly what blood. it looks like <laughs> but so one of the most notable resurgences of the splatter genre occurs from about 2003 to 2009 ish uh in a new form that combined elements of splatter and slasher films dubbed torture porn sorry that's a naughty Ooh. word uh but it was coined by a new york magazine critic david edelstein uh, so torture porn films are focused primarily on violence, gore, nudity, torture, mutilation, and sadism as both anesthetic choice and story elements. So instead of just instead of just doing gore for gore, it makes a story about the gore so that way it has right. to do it. Yeah, you talk about before that the idea of like chaos and and blood everywhere was it filled up the whole of the movie mm-hmm. and and it seems like torture porn takes the chaos and then kind of works that chaos into an uh identifiable narrative exactly rather than having the narrative be chaotic yeah because and especially in this age of film like experimental or art films are absolutely not mainstream or well performing at box offices yeah. so i think if they realized they were going to bring back this level of gore it had to serve serve air quote the story somehow. air quote yeah um so this like sub sub genre is start is thought to have started with 2004 saw uh directed by james of course Wan. uh so this is obviously like one of the first things people think of when they think of torture porn and rightfully so it is pretty much it, the textbook definition however yeah. 
The Saw creators actually reject the classification of torture porn for their films, to which I say, come on. Come on, dude. I'm it's okay, turn, you can say I, it. I turn you into a slug and trap you in a salt maze where there are <laughs> large saw blades coming down and syringes everywhere. That's my idea for a saw trap. You do need to have Billy the Puppet able to turn people into slugs, which uh, yeah, is, I admit, element. a bit an of an ass. The franchise but... has not explored yet, but for all we know, yeah, it could where's, be possible. Where's, where's wizard Billy the Puppet? You know? Uh, where's um, wizard Jigsaw? If, if you've never Jinsaw seen the Saw movies. with a D. Uh, <laughs> Adam, listen to me. Jinsaw Sorry. with a D. In okay. The front. Like, like in Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, you can go on to the podcast. <laughs> well, uh, for those who have never seen a Saw movie, it's not about this. Uh, Saw is a uh, series following a... It's about uh, a mystical genie <laughs> named Jig- Jinsaw. And Jin he casts Saw, a spell and he he turns people into various uh, creatures and then, uh, like how Cersei turned those men into pigs, and then makes them go through horrible, terrible traps that are supposed to teach them about life uh you know uh uh you're a worm you have to learn to become four worms i'm gonna cut you into four worms you're four worms now did you learn your lesson yeah that's 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 the future of the franchise um he he traps people in these very complicated almost rube goldberg machines of traps um in order to but he always gives them the opportunity to escape so they can find a new value for their lives and learn their lesson however the ways to escape are typically insanely gruesome and painful including chopping off body parts inflicting harms on other people passing through acid broken glass needles it's never there's never an easy way out but there is always a way out which is like important did, to the like the theme of the franchise. Did we ever find out who Jigsaw is? Yeah, in like the first movie. Okay, well I exist in a world where I don't know who Jigsaw is and I also exist in a world where nobody's really sure who Rube Goldberg is. So maybe they're the same person. Have you ever seen Rube Goldberg and Jigsaw in the same room? <laughs> I mean like it's like I definitely know who Jigsaw is, but I could not tell you who Rube Goldberg is other than he has machines. <laughs> he does machines like Donatello from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> um I really liked the Saw films growing up. This era of horror was kind of my introduction to it because this is kind of like growing up when I became the age where I could start watching horror movies. So these are the ones that were popular and out. And I like I uh, saw is like the soap opera of the horror genre because. Oh, yeah. Or like Final Destination or something. Uh, nine films, actually. And Ugh. they get more and more like the intrigue, the drama the and then they're like framed by these gruesome traps. Uh saw was the kind of the saw franchise was the kind of movie that i pretended to have seen to seem cool in elementary school okay did not stick was never able to convince people that i was cool or that i had seen the saw movies yeah i think that i ended up with such a good tolerance for gore because i watched these movies way earlier than i should have um but the first film went on to spawn an extremely successful franchise of nine films total including the next one spiral which was supposed to come out this year but is now coming out in may 2021 hopefully cross your fingers uh written by chris rock i that's very good for him but i will say adam you wrote in the outline cross your butts i did write cross your butts (laughs) which a not the same as crossing your fingers and b i think very difficult crossing your butt i would say 
Well, maybe a May 2021 release will be difficult for this film. Twist your own butt if you want to live. That's my jigsaw. (laughs) Great. That was good. Um, But yeah, Chris Rock wrote this movie and stars in it uh, because apparently he's a huge Saw fan. So I'm very excited to see what it's going to be. I think it's going to be good. Good for him. Because... The, the Saw, as any very long horror franchise, took a decline and then kind of went back on the upswing towards the end there. So I hope this is a good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I, I will say that I think it's the sixth one rocks because every victim in that, it's about the the evils of insurance companies and like predatory insurance companies. And it's like Jigsaw's response to like, because he's doing this because See, this is why bad movies are good he was denied his like uh his like cancer treatment or like his insurance wouldn't cover it um that would have saved his life yeah he's also battling cancer for like half of these movies they're crazy that's so good um and so every victim like he brings a boss of this insurance company and then every person he's like you as like the boss of this insurance company get to choose like who lives and who dies based on coverage so now you're going to choose which of your employees live and die See, this is why uh, Republicans are anti-universal health care is because in their mind, they saw the Saw soundtrack. movies and Jigsaw was pro-universal health care. And they're like, that's, that's This is bad. a leftist film. This is a le- Saw is a leftist film. <laughs> um, I was sitting on the couch with my brother the other day and he said he's 14 and he said unprompted. I'll never be evil because I'm afraid Saw is real and I'll get put into a trap and then nothing else after that. Checkmate, Catholics. You thought you needed the scare, of the, the threat of hell to, to make us all do good. Turns out you just need Jigsaw and his yeah. wild, wacky traps. So, yeah. Um. So, enough about Saw. The you should have told him of, to not become a dirty capitalist and he'd be fine. Yeah. Um. The beginning of torture porn is also notably attributed to eli roth's hostel in 2005 which was the first film to be described as torture porn in a review uh hostel is about a group of american tourists in i think slovakia who are kidnapped and tortured by a mysterious organization um similar to saw but it's about people backpacking across europe instead of getting kidnapped by the jigsaw man yeah one of those seems much more likely yeah well slovakia did not enjoy this film understandably yeah that's that's my issue yeah. is the kind of the the Balkan slash Slavic. It's the old thing about Dracula that I talked about. Yeah. It's this weird, like, why is Eastern Europe scary to It people? made it's out Eastern Europe to Eastern be this, Europe. like, scary, dangerous, like, dirty yeah. place, which is not cute. And it's, yeah, no. Um, so during this mid-aughts time, torture porn films were shown to be extremely profitable, uh, Saw grossed over a hundred million worldwide and only cost one point two million to make. Uh, and Hostel made eighty million dollars, costing only five million to make. So huge profits both ways. The fact that uh, Saw only cost one like one point two million dollars that is really cheap. Yeah, it only has like two or three sets. I think it mostly takes place wow. in a couple different places. So they made it on a nice, tiny little budget. Um, but so uh, and. It, the first off film, all practical effects. We start to get into weird CGI later in the the series because CGI got yeah. better, but it still doesn't look good. Practical effects look better. Um, and advertising plays a big part in their popularity as well with shocking trailers, posters, and billboards that, of course, will go on to cause public controversy and then get taken down, which only promotes the film more. That is really what I think I identify Saw with, is like seeing like, like posters of it as poster. a kid. Yeah. 
Yeah. That like would I have cause a, an uproar. I have an image in my brain of like sitting on the on the Metro North headed towards the city and seeing a saw poster on the yeah. train. And yeah. when you hear on the news like, oh, like this film was so gory that take down the poster. She's like, I gotta go see that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, some people do. I say I'm going to tell I, I was going to about to drop the name of a random child I went to school with, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell Jeff that I saw that movie because it seems cool. Um, and the label like torture porn as a label is seen as largely pejorative and negative, although there are filmmakers who embrace it. Uh, obviously, you probably don't want to have your film be called torture porn because that means people see it as devoid of meaning or story and being only there to be violent. Uh, Eli Roth defends the subgenre, saying that the label of torture porn, quote, genuinely says more about the uh, critics limited understanding of what horror movies can do than about the film itself, which can be fair. Yeah. Um, Stephen King on torture porn says, sure, it makes you uncomfortable, but good art should make you uncomfortable to which like, yes, that's a correct statement, but maybe doesn't apply right, to this situation. Yeah. There's a, uh, syllogism going on there. That's not quite like good art makes you uncomfortable. Torture porn makes you uncomfortable. Therefore torture porn is good art. Yeah. Like that's not, maybe not, not quite but, it. Yeah. Um, but George A. Romero who coined the term splatter film uh says i don't get the torture porn films they're lacking metaphor all right i think what we have here is a overgeneralization about a genre that probably doesn't actually exist but just is useful for marketing companies and roger ebert to use yeah um torture porn this like mid-aughts renaissance <laughs> was um soon overtaken sure. At the close of the decade. Some by, renaissances are bad. <laughs> it was overtaken at the close of the decade, largely by horror movie remakes, which it, at like the turn of the decade saw a big resurgence of popularity, um, but not without notable entries like uh, a Serbian film in 2010. And of course, 2009's The Human Centipede, which I feel those two movies are a pretty fitting end for this genre after these two films come out and kind of just have to sit back and reflect on how we got here. The entire horror film and like torture forward industry like sits back and goes, what are we doing? We have to now, take a second and think about what we did. Here's my big controversial take is that the human centipede as a movie is mm -hmm. kind of good. I'll, I, I see your hot take and I'll raise you one more. Human centipede two is good. I, I've, well, is the second one, the one where it's the fan of the movie or is it the third one? Yeah. Because the second movie is good because the first movie exists within the universe of the second one. Which is always the, good for any movie. <laughs> yeah, but even further, the guy saw Human Centipede 1 said, I like that, but not far enough. And so he takes it further. And that's just the kind of energy about making a sequel to your own film. Really, the great thing about that film is that it couches the killer dude as the filmmaker of the first film. Because yeah. he goes... I did good. Let's do some more. Yeah. I'd like make no mistake. The human centipede is disgusting. It's a disgusting it's film. Disgusting. But like as a movie, if you don't, if, if you can handle super gross, then as a movie, it's pretty good. Yeah. Which, you know, I think that's, uh, that is the, the two parts of the art of arguments about stuff like torture porn or splatter films that are totally understandable are there are real artistic interesting things going on in some of the films and there uh are some films even artistic ones that just do stuff to do stuff 
and to creep people out. And maybe that's not people who think that may not be worth it are also totally fair. Like there's a really interesting debate to go on here. And also like from a like free speech standpoint, let people make bad movies. Yeah. While like, while that was a joke about me saying I hate good movies, bad movies should exist. They're welcome to exist. Yeah. Even I, like, bloody ones. Splatter is not everybody's cup of tea. It's not even every horror fan's cup of tea, which is fine. But also, if you think like don't don't count out the whole genre. If you have a good gross tolerance and you think you might like it, give give one a shot. Watch a Saw movie. Start with Saw. Start with Saw. If you're if your yuck meter is <laughs> is real low and you're looking to fill that bad boy up pop in a saw film and you see yeah. your good friend jigsaw start with saw don't start with the other ones start with saw yeah that's fair all right well this has been another episode of the great american scream thank you all so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode please leave a rating and a review on itunes if you're there follow us on spotify if you're there and any other podcast service use the rate and review things on those but most importantly Tell a friend about the show. It is the best way to spread the word. We are so, so, so enjoying making this show. It is something I look forward to week in and week out. So thank you so much for your support. Adam, can you pimp our social medias? Yes, you can follow us on Facebook at The Great American Scream or on Twitter and Instagram at Great Scream Pod. Uh, send us recommendations for your favorite splatter movies or tell us what you think about splatter as a sh- subgenre. You can uh, tweet or post using the hashtag TGAS. And if there is something you would like to hear about on a future episode, uh, let us know. Tweet it at us because your suggestion may become an episode in the future. Yes, and special thank you goes out to... Uh, Michael Segudo for doing the intro and the outro for the podcast, as well as Stevie Viola, who does, Michael only does the intro. <laughs> Special thank you goes out to Michael Segudo for doing the intro to the podcast, as well as Stevie Viola, who does the intro and outro music. You can check him out on Twitter and YouTube. Also, we have a Patreon. There's tons of stuff available there for you if you're able to financially support us, including early access to episodes, live Q&As, stuff like that. So a special thank you goes out to all of our patrons, Eric, Casper, Bree, Gail, Joyce, Brucker, Melinda, and Chris. I have been Devin Wright. I have Nana O'Connell. And hopefully you have been spooked. And hopefully you're not in a big saw trap right now. And if you are, tweet at us. We'll come get you. There's always a way out. Don't be an insurance salesman. Down with the system. <laughs> Dude, safely. Saw is a bad and also leftist movie. (laughs) 